Hey, everybody. All right. So if somebody could type in, type in uh, yes, if you can hear me, then we'll get going here. So as soon as somebody types yes, then I know you guys can hear me. We'll get started. I don't see a yes yet. William, Jeff, um, other Jeff, Jeff with a J. There we go. Okay, good. Good deal. All right. So, um, oh, I just got off a bunch of calls. So I'm kind of tired. So um, my name is Andrew Krause, and I co-founded InventRite 21 years ago with Stephen Key. And we've had students in over 65 countries, and we've been coaching and mentoring inventors to license their products ever since. So when you license, you get the money because it's not your money. It's that big company's money. You get the workforce, sales, marketing, manufacturing, advertising. You don't need to start a business and hire employees because their employees are your employees now. And they're when they have, let's say, 80 products and you're going to plug your product in there, you're just one more product in their product line. So now you're part, your product is part of that machine. So that's very, very beneficial. And then distribution. If they're in 30,000 stores, you're in 30,000 stores. So the benefit of licensing is tapping into a company. It's not a retailer. A lot of times people get confused on that. They think that they're licensing it to Walmart or to Target. No, you license the companies that sell to those retailers. Same thing for industrial products. So, But that company, that brand, that manufacturer doesn't matter if they're getting it made in the U.S. doesn't matter if they're a U.S. company getting something made in China. doesn't matter if they're a European company. doesn't matter where they are. They are going to do more of what they already do. So if they sell in big box stores, they're going to sell your product in big box stores. If they sell in convenience stores, if they sell in industrial supply channels, they're going to do whatever they already do. So you want to identify those companies that are doing somewhat like in the same category. They don't have to be doing the exact same product, somewhat in the same category with distributions in the stores where you want to be. So once you do that deal, it's their money, it's their work, and it's their risk, and it's their distribution. You work on licensing other products. Maybe you license more to them. Maybe you license to others. Maybe you could jump into a different industry. Maybe you could stay in the same industry. But it's very... Um, you know, people watch Shark Tank, they get all excited. Oh, do they raise the money or don't they raise the money? And it's like, geez, licensing is way better than that. Maybe it doesn't make for good TV, but it makes for good reality. And reality TV is not reality, as we know, because you get the money, the workforce, and the distribution, all with little to no risk, because it's already in place. You know, when a company licenses your product, they're not going to, well, we're investing 100 grand in this, so you need to invest 100 grand too. I would run screaming, that's not a licensing deal. And companies don't say that, by the way, any legitimate company wouldn't. So when you're licensing, that's going to be their risk, their financial risk, their time risk, and they're going to utilize their distribution. You know, Now, you lose a little too. It's not all roses. If you want to make it pink and they want to make it purple, they're going to make it whatever color they want. And if you start to argue about that, that's going to be a red flag. That's probably going to kill the deal, right? And so 
um, you lose a little control. You don't have total control over every little aspect of what they do. Some of them, they want your feedback. They may take it. They may not. And whatever you agree to in the contract is what's agreed upon. So if you want to put the screws to them and go, every little thing, you need to get approval from me. Okay. Hey, if they agree to that, great. But more than likely, that's probably going to kill the deal. Now, it doesn't mean you don't negotiate because you do. You negotiate whatever makes sense. So, um, but you got to keep a level head about it. So let, let's go ahead and jump in. So we're doing Q&A. If you have a handle that's not your name, a YouTube handle, feel free to type in your first name so I don't have to read the weird YouTube handle, although it's kind of fun. I'm okay with that too. Um, so the first one is from William. Hi, Andrew. When reaching out to companies, is it worth establishing an LLC just to be able to put LLC on your sell sheet? Do companies care about that? Thank you for your time and expertise. Um, no, they really, they really don't. I would say 99.5% of companies don't. So when we give answers, I try to give answers that are true most of the time, but there's always shades of gray. Um, they really don't care. Now, especially for people that aren't in the United States, they have a hard time believing this because when you're in Europe and you're in other countries, it's all about your credentials and who are you. But in America, which I love, we have this weird idea, which I don't think is weird at all. My dad was a, an immigrant to this country and I'm first generation on my dad's side and second on my mom's side. My dad came over here from Germany when he was like 24. And then my mom lived here, but her parents, um, her father was from Wales and her, her, her mom was from Germany as well. So I have very much have that immigrant blood in me that believes that you can do anything. And my dad didn't even have a high school education. He ended up having 110 employees at one point. And um, so I'm very proud of what he did. Um, so, but getting back to my point is that people here feel like you can do anything. And most of the people in corporate America it's in the back of their mind, you know? And so when you're an individual product developer, they're not going, oh, well, you're, you're not a company. We're not going to deal with you. They look at your idea at the fa on the face of it and go, this is clever or it isn't. We don't care who it came from. Now, when they do care is when you act like a wacky inventor. They don't want the liability and they don't want to deal with a wacky inventor. So, but it, you don't need to be a company. So, William, I would say absolutely most of our students don't put LLC, um, like William uh, Christ, Christ LLC is your name. You know, if you if you did your full name, William Christ Designs, if, if let's say LLC, let's say you made that your company name, they don't care. And there's a good way of doing that where in most states, if you, um, that I know of, don't quote me on this, look it up for your state, you don't need to file a fictitious business name statement if you use your full name. So my name is Andrew Krauss. So if I put Andrew Krauss Designs on the sell sheet, so for instance, my email signature might be um, Andrew Krauss, product developer, it's my title, company Andrew Krauss Designs, phone number is my cell number, don't have kids screaming on there, go ahead, this is Andrew Krauss from Andrew Krauss Designs. Say, You're looking very professional. Now, sending with an email that is um, happybeach at hotmail.com, that's not professional. So get yourself like a Gmail, um, Andrew Krauss Designs a Gmail or William Chris Designs. And so all of that costs you nothing. Now, to file an LLC, um, they don't care. Now, sometimes when you get deep into the companies, they'll ask, but it's pretty rare. So and that's a really cool thing about the U.S. Now, 
we have a lot of students in Australia. Australians are my favorite folks. And what some of them have told me, I've learned more about Australian culture. They go, you know, some of them, maybe if you're from Australia, you disagree. No, Andrew, we still have the what we call the tall poppy syndrome here. Like an individual reaches out to a big company and you're a, a poppy is a flower and it grows up and they just ch chop it down. Because who are you to think that an as an individual, that you could reach out to us, so-and-so corporation? You know, and so I've had some Australians tell me, look, there's still quite a bit of that here. So that's why most of our students, international students, they'll focus on the U.S. and Canada. Now, to me, a European company that's really strong in the U.S., that's the same as a U.S. company, if you ask me, because there's Americans working there. They still have that kind of attitude for the most part, most of the time. And so I think that's the equivalent. And European companies are good, too. We have students licensed to European companies, a little less than uh, less, definitely less than U.S. Canadian companies, um, Asian companies that aren't in the U.S. and just selling in Asia. Uh, good luck with that. But if they're big in the U.S. already, that's fine. Like I said, that's to me, as far as evaluation purposes, if they're big in the U.S., they've got a certain amount of American culture. So um, this thought that you need a company, getting back to William's question, I think that's just BS. You don't really need it. Um, now, with that said, I'm not an attorney and everything that I shared today is not considered legal advice. Please seek the services of an attorney if you need legal advice. But what I will say is um, let's say, I mean, when you're licensing, is somebody going to slip and fall on your sell sheet or your video that you email them a link to? Like what kind of real liability do you have there? It's very low. But if you're very wealthy, you have a lot of assets or you work very hard your whole life and, and you're very careful, you know, would it make sense to file an LLC before you reach out to companies? Yeah, I guess it would. Because in some states, it's only like 40 bucks, 50 bucks. In California, it's freaking expensive. It's like 800 where I am. It's including all the fees, it's like 500 in Nevada. Um, so, but have I ever met a student ever that at a company or an individual that bought the product, they licensed the company, ever sue them or even threaten to you? I've never heard of a single student. There's not a single one I know of where that's ever happened. So to me, your liability, because that is one of the reasons for filing the LLC, a limited liability company in the US, um, I, I think it's almost insignificant. But again, talk to your attorney. Don't take my advice there. Um, now, with that said, when you do a licensing deal and you're getting very close to the get closing the contract, you want to tell them you want to file an LLC or a corporation or if you're a U.S. citizen because you want that additional liability protection. We don't let we don't let our students do whatever they want, but we always insist that our students file an LLC. And you can wait to be in the midst of the deal to do that. You could be very far advanced in the deal and say to the company, hey, I want to do it in this new LLC. They're not going to go, I've never heard this ever happen. Oh, no, no, you were saying you did business as this, and now you want to do the contract under this? Unacceptable. Like, they don't care. They just want your idea. So it was a very long answer, and I got a little personal there, but I'm very proud. There's a lot of not so good things about this country, but I'm very proud um, of the country that we live in and that we believe in this country that anybody can do anything. And, and that is one of the reasons why the licensing opportunity is so amazing. So even though people are in corporate America and sometimes they make, I, I shouldn't do this because people have a job and uh, that corporate America, sometimes people don't have the same creativity that we do. 
um, you know, they're, they got a job. They're trying to support their family. I, I, I get it. Um, I'm never going to make fun of those people, but, um, even though they might have a job that's not that creative and they're in corporate America and they, they think just want to keep their job and they work hard and all that, um, they still have, I believe most Americans still have that entrepreneurial um, thoughts in the back of their heads. So they respect you when you send them an idea. And don't be surprised that a lot of them secretly admire what you're doing and they're like, what am I doing in this corporate job? I wish I could be doing my own thing. But again, there's nothing wrong with working a corporate job and earning a living. Anybody that earns a living for their family should be respected no matter what they're doing. Um, but those are some reasons why the business opportunity of licensing is really big, bigger in the U.S. and Canada um, than it is around the world. We have that, and it's very special, and so don't forget that. Um, uh, Jeff with a J, because we got Jeff with a G in a minute here. Um, hey, Andrew, thanks for sharing your wisdom. I wonder if it's better to invent a new spatula with a hinge or invent an aftermarket hinge to go on a spatula that's already in the drawer. So it's a good question. What he's saying is, can I invent an accessory that goes with existing products or should I just invent the product with it already on there? And there's no way of answering, giving a blanket answer for all products because everyone is different, right? Um, but a lot of the time you're going to need to do the whole product with integrated, you know, because sometimes when you have some accessory, like, I mean, it's kind of a silly example, but you're trying because I'm always talking about spatulas. Like, is it going to work? Let's say it's a hinge that who knows what the purpose of that is, but let's say it's a hinge that goes on a spatula. Maybe it works on this size, but doesn't work on this size. What the consumer does, and this is a good way to define whether or not you should do it as a full-on product or do it as an accessory. I love accessories. They're great. If the consumer is going to look at it and instantly think, and you can't answer it with the packaging, like, oh, I don't know if that's going to work for my spatula, or I don't know if that's going to work for my barbecue. You want them to go, oh, yeah, because accessories are a great category. So, but Jeff asked, answered, asked a very specific question. Should I make an accessory or should I make it a whole new product with this feature? And if they're going to look at it as an accessory and really be doubtful or a large percentage of people will be doubtful whether or not it works. Well, I don't know. I'm going to get it home and then it's not going to work with my one. And then I have to come back and return it, you know, and then they're like, oh, you know, if that's what you think the response is going to be, no. Now, if you can help them with the marketing and they can just see, oh, this works with any this or any that, any barbecue, any this, any that, and then fine, do it as an accessory. So it's really case by case basis, but at least I gave you a broad overview, Jeff, that helps everybody kind of go, oh, okay, if people aren't like overly concerned, it will work with mine, you know. It won't, will that accessory work with my existing product or not? If you can make that really clear that it will, I think it's perfectly fine. But, you know, it's one of those things you got to look at each product, figure out what makes sense. Um, and the more you do this, the better you get at it. So this is Jeff with a G. Can I reference a skateboard in my PPA if my invention is an attachment to it? If I've heard that you can't reference prior art. Um, you, you want to reference a particular skateboard, just reference whatever you want to protect, Jeff. You know, I mean, if, if you're, we do a lot of accessories, it's an attachment to a skateboard. 
I don't know if you're talking about a particular skateboard. Can you, if it's if it's an attachment to a skateboard, you have to talk about that. So I hope you're not misinterpreting that you can't reference prior art that you don't explain how this thing works and functions because you do. Um, now, maybe not explaining specific prior art, but a skateboard's a skateboard. I mean, if you got and if you want to show it works on different skateboards, you know, you can show that it connects different skateboards different ways. So, um, no, it's perfectly okay. How would you protect it in your provisional patent if it's specifically for skateboards and you can't talk about skateboards? You're going to reference that. So hopefully you're not misinterpreting that. I know there's only so much we can do on these Q&As, but hopefully that was helpful and helpful to everybody else as well. I'm thirsty. so You know, you think that I've been doing this for a long time, so you think that I like I get all the camera ready and everything ready, but literally I was talking to somebody two minutes before I jumped onto this. Um, so uh, sometimes I need to take a drink of water. Um, let's see. Okay, Annelton. Um, this is, he's got, he keeps giving me updates. This is pretty cool. Hi, Andrew, just want to let you know that my second meeting is Wednesday after Wall, that's a razor or clipper company. Wall Clipper Company turned me down. I'm on to the next company called Gamma. Hopefully I'm not collecting, collecting knee, N-E-E. -E. Well, you're doing a good job collecting the nose, which is one thing we always talk about in Ventrite. You need to collect a lot of nose to get to a yes. You're kicking butt, Annelton. You're doing great. I think that's fantastic. You got in a wall. I think they looked at it and they eventually said no, but now you're on to another company. You're rocking it, man. So I think you're a good example for everybody here. You know, when we do our InventRight stuff, you know, we'll, we'll get on to certain things like our smart pitch meetings, especially for outreach. And a student will talk about a struggle. Another student will talk about a success. And it just makes it really real. Even though they have a coach that's one-on-one -on -one with them, say, well, our students typically experience this, but to get on a group meeting, like our smart pitch meeting, and to listen to different students struggling. One week they're struggling, and the next week it's fixed. You know, they're like, oh, you know, I'm struggling. I'm so frustrated. Like, I got to go to five companies this week, you know, or whatever it is. Um, so I like that you're doing that for this crowd, which is um, you guys aren't InventRight students, but you're InventRight fans. So, Annelton, thank you for doing that. It's very inspirational. Um uh, this is something we get often, Desmond, so I think it's good. I'm going to keep it brief because I'm just going to, the more brief I can keep it, the more you can know that you should never go to this direction. Desmond said, hi, Andrew, what percentage does a company make a deal to buy the idea from you outright? It is a complete and utter rookie move. You do not want to go that direction, Desmond. You just don't. So I'll give you a, a an example that I, I think I gave this on the last one, too. Let's say it's a product you could be earning $100,000 a year in royalties. So if it sells for five years, it's half a million dollars. You would be incredibly lucky to convince them to give you $40,000 upfront total. They don't want to pay you upfront. They're investing tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to launch the product. And they're taking tons of risk to ask for a bunch of upfront money. It doesn't sit well with them. You're like, oh, well, these companies are big companies. They have a lot of money. Yeah, they have a lot of money because they're smart they're not stupid because they don't just buy inventions outright. So now with that, so definitely my advice is don't even go that direction. Don't bring it up. It's complete and utter rookie move. 
and they will never pay you what it's worth up front. You'll earn way more as you earn royalties quarterly every three months as they sell it. As they make money, you make money. If they win, you win. If they don't win, they can hand it back to you. Okay. If they don't do well with it and it was all their risk and all their money to risk it. It's great. Asking for upfront money. No. Now I've had some students that were in difficult financial position. Might you want to do that if you were in a difficult financial position and you needed immediate money? Well, yeah. And I, I don't like it when people are in that position because I'm like, you shouldn't be licensing. If you're that thin financially, that getting like 10 or 15 grand is going to make the difference for you. You should be focusing on getting your budget in order. So you're not worried about paying your mortgage because you're not getting all this upfront money from a company. So um, total rookie move. Great question, Desmond. Don't go that direction. It's a fantasy. It's not a reality. It's it's not how it works. Um, so it's thank you for asking the question because everybody else was able to hear the answer too. Um, uh, my, Mama is his name or her name. Uh, hello, Andrew. First time catching up with your live broadcast. I got a lot of questions. Great. Cool. Welcome. Um, Lindsay, Lindsay, uh, companies I've reached out to say they're too busy or they develop their own products in the back of the house of their website says essentially that anything you send will be treated as public info advice, question mark. Um, so this is one thing that when inventors are new to this and your our students will typically reach out, we call our clients students that we coach, um, they'll typically reach out to 20 or 30 companies. So when people are new to this, because they don't put themselves out there that much, they experience something once and they think that that is a blanket or they experience it, I don't care, twice, three times. And they go, oh, that's just how it is. So, Lindsay, if you're saying that um, your website, some of these websites you're submitting to that said they'll essentially anything you send will be treated as public info, um, that's not normal. That's not true at all. Now, is it true of those few websites you went on? Yes. Don't submit to them. That's why you need to read through any um, anything that they put out. And actually, some of the sites the websites, the companies that have portals, it's there to not to pay attention to. So some portals on a particular company's site, people, inventors, so inventors think that, oh, if they have a portal, it means they're open. No, it could just be the nice little convenient black hole they send you into so it goes off into nowhere and they can promptly ignore you. It could. In some companies, that's the case. Other companies, the portal is great. There's somebody actively reviewing it. Sometimes the portal is okay. For a couple of weeks, people are actively reviewing it, and then they don't even look at it for like five weeks, and you're like, why do they get back to me? But then they somebody jumps back on it again. But just because they have a submission portal doesn't mean they're more open to ideas. It's not true. A lot of the companies have nothing mentioned on their website about submissions, but you reach out to the right person. They're like, oh, yeah, send it on over. Or on LinkedIn, they oh, send it over. That's how professional inventors do it. Any inventor that is only submitting to companies that have invention portals on their website, submit your ideas here, total rookie move. Now, I think it's a good place to start. But Lindsay may be starting there and going, oh, you know, it says that it's treated as public information, you know. Um, so without getting into the specifics, you know, if you filed your provisional patent, that's your protection. 
Now, you want to make sure it doesn't say something because I've seen a few of these. It's not common, guys, but oh, we'll, we'll pay you a maximum of $5,000 if we're interested. Or I've seen like one or $2,000. Now, that's not normal. But why would you ever submit to them? Now, in some areas, like there are people that will and they're messing it up for you. Nobody should submit to them on those terms. It's completely unreasonable if you ask me. Completely. You know, it's ridiculous. You know, so, but that's not most companies. It really isn't. So, um, so now, Lindsay, another thing you said is that some companies say they're too busy. No, they're not too busy. If they liked your product, they wouldn't be too busy. What they're saying is they, they're, people are pretty good for the most part, most people. Even the marketing manager in a company, sometimes they have a hard time rejecting and saying, no, I'm too busy. When they really wanted to say, I don't like the product because I've seen something similar like this and I don't believe there's a market because this and this. But they, don't have, they are busy. They don't have time to write that. And they don't have the time to write that. And so they go, no, we're, we're too busy right now. And what it could mean is they're a marketing manager. They've got three bosses. they got four different projects. They're inundated with email. They don't have time for a new product. But sometimes you hit them at the right time. So one month you submit to them and they say they're too busy or they say not at this time, not a right match for us. They give a lot of generic answers. That's very common. But you submit six months later and you just hit them at the right time. And two weeks earlier, their boss said, we need new products. And that same person, same product, I've seen this happen many times, is now showing interest in your product. You have to realize there's a little bit of luck. And that's why I always tell our students, if you send to 30 companies, you get all these nonspecific no's. Great. Reach back out six, seven months later, send it to all the same people. Got all their emails. It's like the easiest thing to do in the world. I mean, you could send 30 emails, same email, probably do that in an hour, right? Um, so you copy, paste it, and just keep sending it, address them by their name. And I get students license all the time that way. Most inventors would never do that. They're like, they said no. Why would I resubmit to them? Because they're busy. Because you're right, Lindsay, they are busy. And so when they say they're busy, it doesn't mean they don't, they're not open to licensing ideas. Doesn't mean that if they're not in the right headspace, the next time you send them, that they might be open to it. It might mean that they're never, that's just the answer. They're giving you some generic answer, but they also don't want to get into a back. Some of them don't want to get into a back and forth with you. I talked to this one guy and he's like, I just send the same generic answer and I don't get into it because I don't have time to go back and forth via email and somebody, but why don't you like it? But, but, but they don't have time for that. Now, some marketing managers, they will take the time. And you, you, if you say, no problem, I realize it's not a right match for you. Could you write a sentence or two to give me any feedback or get them on the phone? They're much more likely to say something. Oh yeah. You know, well, I've kind of seen that before and I don't, Oh, but you don't, you know, but mine has this. Oh yeah, I guess it does. You know? <clears throat> so, and here's the thing. When our students ask for feedback, they don't get it most of the time. So let's say you submit to 30 companies, they give you non-specific no's and you ask for feedback from every single one in a, I accept you're not interested in the product. Could you write a sentence or two, any feedback you have about your thoughts about the product, you know, that might help me. And about I accept you're, you're not interested in the product, but I'm going to continue to try to move this forward. And so let's say one in five that you asked, you might feel rejected. Four out of five said didn't even respond when you asked for feedback. But one out of five did, and you had 30 companies. That means you get feedback from six companies, marketing managers in the industry of your category, gold. 
most inventors never do that. Even our students, even our coaches have a hard time convincing our students to do that because you see it as rejection. You know, when, and I, I'm not, when a company gets a request like that to do a million things, they get the request and then it's out of their mind. You know, it's not like they're thinking, oh, that, that Bob, you know, I'm going to get him next time he sends me an email. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind for, for wasting so much of my time. You know, don't waste their time. But to say, can you write a sentence or two? Any feedback you have would be appreciated. I, I promise I won't follow up with another email if you give me a little feedback or something. I mean, I'm a professional product developer. And I've, I've found that with marketing managers like you, with high level companies like yours, give me a sentence or two feedback. It's been like incredible. So if there's anything you can do, great. If not, no problem. And you'd be surprised. And, and uh, so, so do that. Um, so Lindsay, you're making assumptions. Um, it is not true at all. We've been doing this for 21 years that companies will say anything you send them as public that all that huge numbers of them will, or that they're all too busy. It's not true whatsoever. You don't, you haven't reached out to enough companies. And if you're just looking at companies that only have portals, you're not doing it right. You got to reach out on LinkedIn and reach out on the phone. And, and don't think that those are the more open companies. Um, a lot of them, it's just a black hole that the idea goes into. They're not going to steal your idea or anything. They're just, it just goes there and nobody's even looking at it or they give you generic responses and who knows who they have there. Maybe there's some companies where it's like the president, smaller company or good marketing manager, other ones, an intern, other ones, they like just, they give it, they give it a quick glance once in a while when they feel like they're not really looking at it. And then others really look at it. So, um, okay. Uh, Jeff said domain names are only $15 and you get matching email addresses. Yeah, that's true. You can get a domain name, but you know, you got to realize when you're licensing a company that has 80 products, they have their own brand. They're not selling another website for your product. So it's like, um, my beautiful widget.com. Let's say it's a um, doorstop, doorstop, ama the amazing doorstop.com. Are they going to utilize that, that website? Probably not. Now, if it's a DRTV infomercial company, yeah, they might. But if they have their own brand, they have 80 products, they're branding everything, their product, and it's on their freaking website. They're not starting a whole other website for your product. So, Jeff, it can be useful. Hey, it's only like, I think domain names can be even less. But you don't need to get a matching email address when you're licensing. So if you if you do, um, I don't know, Jeff, the other Jeff, what your last name is, but let's say it's Smith, so it's Jeff Smith Designs at Gmail. Like, don't go out every time you get an invention and start a company name for your invention when you're licensing. You don't need to do that. And so sometimes another mistake I see people make is they'll they'll do a sell sheet and they're so proud of their company logo and it's like huge. It's like taking up giant chunk of their sell sheet of their marketing materials. It's like, whoa, what about the product? You know, and that's not even the branding they're going to use. You want to come up with a product name? Yes. But to do your branding for a company name, you don't, you're not understanding what you're selling when you do that. What you're selling is your product and its benefits and having a clever comp, uh, product name or a descriptive product name that they might change. That's what you want to emphasize. Don't put a huge company logo. And they're like, so is this guy trying to license it or is this his company? Does he want to sell this? Does he want to license this? Confusing. So, Jeff, you know, it's just a side note. 
on the fact that you said you can get a domain name and getting a matching email address, which you're absolutely right. But when you're licensing, why? Why do you need to do that? Now, if you're doing the DRTV infomercial guys, might it make sense to get the amazingdoorstop.com? Yes, in that case. But with standard consumer product companies, they're not going to be having a new website anyway. So it's just it's even a waste of $15 there. But you are right. That's very, it's interesting. It might apply for certain people. And it's a great tip, Jeff. I agree with you. Um, okay, a huge, Deidre, a huge manufacturing company, a huge manufacturer. I'm going to read it where you wrote it. A huge manufacturing company, my product. He asked for $25,000. I didn't have deal ended three weeks ago. He asked if I would like them to just show my product to approximately 40 companies for $3,000. Is this good? It sounds like an invention promotion company, Deidre. You should go to, um, inventorfraud.com and learn how invention promotion companies and scams work. And if you go to inventorfraud.com, there's hop-off points to the Federal Trade Commission. That sounds like an invention promotion company. And you should you need to learn so you don't get taken advantage of. Um, uh, Mama, uh, for some of us not here in the U.S. and don't have relatives over there to handle pitching for us. Why can't InventRight create an organization or agency to handle such cases? So I don't know if you were listening earlier, Mama, but we've had students in over 65 countries. You can do this from anywhere. So um, I don't know why you think you can't do it. Um, when you utilize, even if English isn't your first language, you can utilize LinkedIn to copy and paste templates we give you and reach out on LinkedIn. Um, and so there's, you're at no disadvantage. You don't need somebody located here to do it. We've had students in 65 countries and 65 countries. Some of those are small countries. Um, and I say th the same thing to people live in some tiny little town with a population of 80 people. You are not limited by your geography. It makes no difference. Going back to what I said earlier, uh, mama, you know, my dad was an immigrant. My mom's parents were immigrants. Um, most Americans aren't prejudicial against people that are from other countries. I like to think that maybe that's not true, but if you show them a good idea, um, they'll want it. You know, I mean, you do want somebody to prove for your English is pretty good with what you wrote. Even use the word pitching, you know, your English looks pretty good to me, man. They don't care where you're located. So don't worry about it, man. Go for it. You know, um, now, even people in the U.S., oh, well, but I want you to sell it for me, Andrew. I'm like, well, Deidre, which I suspect she's, I suspect that's an invention promotion company. There's all these companies out there go, oh, we'll do it all for you. And so you give a lump of coal. They're going to tell you it's great. They don't care what it is. They're going to tell you it's great. Oh, we have the contacts. We'll do it all. They'll get 10 or 12 grand out of you. They'll pretend to work on it. Well, who are you calling? Oh, we can't share that. That's confidential. Or they'll share it, but you could even call. How would you, what are you going to say? Oh, this company called. Did they call you? How could they say yes? The gatekeeper is like, I don't know. So then they pretend to work on it for a year and they go, oh, nobody's interested. They took 10 or 12 grand for you. So um, you guys, when you're looking for somebody to do this all for you, you're going to find an endless list of scammers. And InventRight, we empower our students to go direct to companies. So you know what's happening because you're frigging doing it. You know things are happening or not happening. You're getting the no's. You're getting the yeses. You're in the real world. I mean, this perception that somebody's going to do it for you 
it is a very common perception and scammers prey upon that. Like you wouldn't believe it's estimated to be a multi-billion dollar business worldwide. Scamming inventors, not out of their ideas, but out of their money. So don't fall for that. Now, I get it. You're new. You have a great idea. You're like, well, I'm not a business person. I don't understand all this stuff. Makes sense. This is a company. You can sell my idea for me. I get it. I understand why people are scammed. Um, but if you really turn on your spidey sense with these companies, you'll realize, okay, this something's not adding up. And sometimes if you don't sign up, they'll start yelling at you like some obnoxious New York stockbroker. You have no idea the things that are. I talked to this little old lady that was taken for her last $20,000. She lived in a trailer park, literally a little old lady in a trailer park taking it for the last $20,000. I mean, it, these people are going to hell that, that do that to inventors because you're, you're taking something that people are vulnerable. These are your hopes and your dreams. It's your dream to license your invention. And then you're pray, these people are preying upon people's hopes and dreams. There's nothing worse to me. I guess there is things that are worse, but that's pretty damn bad. Um, so, don't look for it. You won't find it. I'm not saying that because we guide people and coach people. I'm saying it because it's true. And so go to inventorfraud.com, look around the internet, Google the names of these companies, see pages and pages of complaints. So it's just, and it used to really bother Stephen and myself when we started coaching 21 years ago. I've become numb to it. I can only help people that want to help themselves. If somebody wants to get scammed, it's going to happen. It's a terrible thing to say, but I, I can't let it upset me after 21 years. I still think it does because you can tell I'm getting upset. Um, but I'm trying to relay how I've always felt and how I still feel so that you can get through to some of you that you're not going to find this magical salesperson that's going to do it all for you. You know, um, Now, you don't have to start a business. You can license it to a company and it's all the work is off one of them, but you still got to do a bunch of work to make that happen. Um, I don't know what that means. So mama says, Mr. Stephen Key, that's my business partner, made some interview with some company. And some of these companies claim even if you got no patent or even a PPA, they can still protect your idea. Do you think it's worth risking it? So yeah, we have, yeah, you're misinterpreting it a little bit. So we have students all the time that just file a provisional patent for 75 bucks. The company doesn't care about the patent, doesn't care if you file it, they don't want to file it and they'll still pay you royalties. And people are surprised by that. We do those deals all the time. Our students do those deals all the time. So yes, that is possible. And, and um, but you, if they do want to file a patent, you filed a provisional, you can get them to give you the money to file the patent. Maybe you split it because you're going to have some royalties coming in. But you want to reduce your risk. So you're only spending 75 bucks on a provisional. And then you're seeing if there's interest. So um, and if a company's like, we want to do a deal, but uh, we're doing novelty. We don't care about patents. We're going to spend all that money, you know, on a patent. We've got great distribution. And if you look at companies, this is a way to look at it. If you look at most companies, some companies, not a single one of their products is patented. So why do you think you need to patent every single product you come up with? It's some bizarre um, perception that inventors have, and it's completely not true. Now, in some industries, you got to have a patent. You got to have, a, and a lot of industries, you don't. But we say file a provisional patent. So if they want it, great. If they don't, no problem. Do the deal. You know, the biggest form of protection is not a patent. It's distribution. 
So if you license this really big company and they're in 30,000 stores, that's way better protection than any patent because they're just going to squash all the competition with their distribution, not a patent. And if they want to, if they're, if they do get a patent, so some companies don't get me wrong, they'll be like, Oh yeah. Okay. We want to file a patent and the Euro is going to file a patent. So, you know, maybe they give you a little money to do it. Maybe you do it on your own. Maybe they give you upfront money. You take some of that little upfront money you put towards the patent, whatever. There's all sorts of ways you could work it, but you always file a patent if they want it and it will protect you and it'll protect them. And if they, if somebody's knocking off the idea, do you think they're going to run around and sue companies? Even big companies can't afford to do that. They're not stupid. So usually what they're going to do is they're going to send a cease and desist letter. It costs them next to nothing to have their attorney send that letter to a company. Most of the companies are scared away by that. Some don't care. Some are just brazen. That's their thing. They just like knocking people off. And even the big company you license to will not bother to sue that little company. Like, let's say the company you license to is selling 80% of the product. This is a successful product. Congratulations. Some companies selling and knocking, and other companies or several are knocking off, and they're selling 20% of the knockoff version of the product. Great. You're successful. That's a good thing. That's the mindset. Okay. Now, that big company. They will. They can send a cease and desist letter to those companies knocking off. Maybe they go away, and then another one crops up. They keep sending cease and desist. Doesn't cost them much. Very practical. Now, if they're making enough money, a lot of money, then they might file a lawsuit or really threaten the company. But they have to be making quite a bit of money to justify that. So it makes you think that you're going to run around suing everybody. I'm not saying you guys think you're going to do that, but even big companies, you need to know the practical aspect of licensing. But if Mama is in. And I don't know if your last name says Africa. I don't know if you're in Africa. Or you, actually, your real name is Braham. Braham. Um, but if you're in Africa, you could be afraid of all this. You could not reach out to anybody. And guess who ripped you off? You. You ripped yourself off. you got these great ideas. I just don't even need to be great. They just need to be okay because corporate America is not that creative. You can have kind of okay ideas and license them. Um, you ripped yourself off. And I've talked to people that said, oh, my dad was an inventor, but he was so afraid of getting ripped off. He went to his deathbed. He died having never invented any, had never reached out to a single company, but he filed five patents. Great. That's a good use of your money. So, um, you, so hopefully these shows that we do help people realize, and Mama, or Braham is your name, um, you can file a provisional patent just like an American for 75 bucks and get protection for a whole year. And even in Africa, 75 bucks is, well, is fairly affordable. So you're going to have to do this. If you don't want to do it, fine, move on to something else. But don't look for a company to do it for you. It's just a waste of your time. Um, so... Uh, Nomad said, hi, Andrew, can you help us in the UK? I have a UK grant of patent for groundbreaking product. Many thanks. Yeah, we've had students in 65 countries. So, you know, and just because your patent's in the UK, I would not restrict yourself to the UK. We've had several students licensed in the UK. Is it a little harder than US? Are they a little less open? Yeah, they still got that tall poppy syndrome like in, in Australia a little bit. But you can definitely license in Europe. It's just a little easier in the US. But I would not limit yourself. My quite like next time, I wouldn't file a UK patent. 
Now you're like, oh, but I, that's my home country. That's where I live. You know, okay. But if your if your license if your business model is licensing, I follow U.S. provisional and in a roundabout way without getting the specifics, because the U.K. is part of the Patent Cooperation Treaty. It, it kind of gives you a placeholder to file in the U.K. and then go ahead, approach U.S., Canadian, and U.K. and European companies and see if you can license it. So you made a mistake filing a, a patent. And I talk to fans and students of ours, and they feel, I feel bad because we always say this because we're trying to teach people to prevent other people from doing it. Oh, Andrew, I follow the patent. I know, I know, I know I messed up. I'm like, dude, that's okay, man. Everybody does it. Um, a lot of people do it. But now that you know it, don't do it again. Don't do that. Now, Nomad, where you are is you've invested financially in your product. You want to do and say everything right to your potential licensees, to companies that can license this. So you have the highest chance of success because you're financially invested. And it's a weird thing to say. I don't think people should file patents. They should file provisionals, go fishing, got a whole year to go fishing. And um, But that, that fact that you spent all that money, that has a sense of commitment there, right? So it's, it's, like, it's like you got this stronger desire. Well, I spent all that money on the patent now. I better do something with this. That's not a completely a bad thing, you know, because it motivates you. But I don't want you guys to have to spend money on a full utility, granted utility patent like Nomad did and like a lot of other you did in, in order to be ready to license because you totally 100% don't need to do that. Now, tons of students that have done it um, before they came to us, tons of fans done it. Don't beat yourself up about it learn the things we teach to move forward and license your product nomad. Um, but yeah, we, can we guide you? Can we coach you to license your product? But, you know, don't just reach out to UK companies because you have a UK patent. That's silly. Reach out to US and, and Canadian companies as well. And maybe some other countries as well, but mostly US, Canada and Europe. Um, Matt said, hello, Andrew, wanted to know what your thoughts are on toy brokers. Had an interesting talk with Mike Mara of Mara Design. I think I vaguely know Mike. So um, toy brokers are a dying breed, okay? It's one industry where there were actually legitimate agents or brokers. Home goods, automotive, gardening, every other area you can think of just riddled with these invention promotion scam companies um, that you can learn more about if you go to inventorfraud.com. Um, but in the toy business, there were actually legitimate brokers. And for a long time, these big companies would not deal directly with inventors. They would deal with brokers and the brokers would filter out the ideas. They are a dying or almost a dead breed. Um, one of our coaches, April, she gets into toy companies all the time. You can go direct to these big companies now. Sometimes you'll have a feeling they don't. They'll have one portal for the rookie inventors. But when you get to know them and they like the stuff and you're going to come back with more ideas, they'll give you a separate portal, a separate place or email address to submit to. So I think that um, for the most part, just go direct. You can go direct with most of these toy companies now. It's it's they're. If five, 10 years from now, there'll be no such thing as a toy broker anymore, if you ask me. Um, and if it is, they'll be like, they're almost already obsolete as it is. Um, not saying there are still a few legitimate ones. So I, I don't know Mike Mara. Um, I don't know him. 
Um, I don't like it when they charge. Um, some of them will charge you just to look at your product, if they like it or not. Yeah. I don't really like that. Now, I kind of understand these rookie toy inventors inundating them with products. And it's just so much garbage. And they're like, oh, you need to pay me $500 to review your idea. I don't, I don't like that. I don't think that's a good thing. I understand why they're doing it, though. So, But do not mix up toy brokers with these invention scam companies, invention promotion companies. There are legitimate toy brokers just because they're agenting toy inventors. That's been there for a very, very long time. It's historical, has historical significance. It's They're probably legit. Do I like some of the things toy brokers do? No. Uh, do I think they're worth the time most of the time? Absolutely not. I mean, just to submit one idea to one toy broker and sit around waiting them, they say, oh, I'm pitching it. And they don't know, you don't know if they, they, they only get so much time with the toy company and they open up their bag. They may have showed it, they may not. I talked to so many people who get strung and strung and strung along with toy brokers for money and for them even ever showing the product. So if I were to work with a toy broker, only if you're doing toys, I would say if they're like, hey, I'll show it and next week or within two weeks or three weeks, I'll let you know. And then you can keep moving on if the people I know aren't interested and I'm not going to charge you anything. That's cool. Anything else besides that, I perceive for the most part to be a waste of time. Um, uh, Des, I currently sell a custom made product that is doing well. Great. I would like to license the product, but I know the money is better when I just sell it myself. Can you discuss the pros and cons? Great. I love that, Des. That's a great question. So some people, I'm going to do pros and cons because there are pros and cons to this. And some are good for licensing and some are better for venturing, selling it yourself. So um, some people think like, well, why, why would I license it and get a 5 or 8% royalty when I can get 20% profit margin because I'm selling it myself? And it's like, well, where are you selling it? Well, on my website, and I got it in this one store. And I'm like, okay, you're earning 20% profit margin. You're selling 2,000 units a year. Well, what's the math on that? And you're spending, what, 30 hours a week doing this? 40 hours? You, you, that's your full-time gig? You know, wow, okay. And you add up the money. And then you look to a big company you can license it to. And you're selling 2,000 units a year, and they can sell 100,000 units a year and you're getting an 8% royalty, let's say. Do the math. So if it's if it's a product that a big company could sell in huge volume, you, you might be better off with them licensing it. And then you don't have to do the work and run the business and all that. You know, because when you license it, you don't need to do anything once you license it, right? Um, now, when would it make sense to keep selling it yourself? If it's a really niche product, and it's not going to sell high volume ever. If you license it to a, a company and they're only selling, let's say they sell 5,000 units instead of 2,000 and you get an 8% royalty and you add that up and you're like, oh, that's not very much money where you're selling it. And maybe you can sell more. Maybe you can get to 5,000 eventually and you're getting a 20% profit margin. You know, if it's really niche and really low volume, you might be better off to continue to make it yourself. But you have to ask yourself, am I having fun? selling it myself? Am I irritated that I'm only selling it on my website in one store? Or is that working fine for me? Am I making 50K a year venturing this thing? And it's really niche and some big company wouldn't be interested in it. So when you license to a big company, you are that big company. 
they're going to do whatever they normally do, which is sell pretty significant volume. And if it doesn't sell that, they're going to hand it back to you. But if it's a really niche product, you're not going to be very happy with those royalties. Because if, if you license it, some little mom and pop business, right? Some big company is not going to license it to begin with if they know it's a niche product. But if you license it to some small company and you're like, wow, I'm not really happy with those royalties. Now, maybe you're okay with it. You know, small royalties. I didn't want to start my own business. And I know it's a niche product. You know, next time, to be honest with you, it's not any harder to license a product that's going to sell half a million units that's one, than one that's going to sell 5,000 units. There's no difference in the amount of work it takes. So when I see our students occasionally, when they're new and they really insist on working on an itchy product, go oh, fine. They're, they're learning. They're getting experience so they can license another product. And I'm okay with that. But I always say, look, you're probably not going to earn a lot of money on that because it's super niche. So you earn more money when it's venturing, you know, if, but you got to ask yourself, do I want to run a business, you know? And, you know, you, so I talk to people that are venturing a product. And they're like, Andrew, I'm selling this many units. When I look at all my time and all my investment, I'm probably making about minimum wage. And then I talk to other people. They're like, whoa, this is blowing up big. I'm overwhelmed. I'm selling so many. I want to license this because I'm drowning. I can't handle this. I don't want to do this. Like I'm, my hands are quivering because I'm, I'm spending 80 hour work weeks. I'm not sleeping. My wife or my husband doesn't like me more. I never see my kids. And I know I need to license this. I know a big company can do better than I can. I'm rocking or somewhere in between. Are you doing pretty good? You're just like, I don't want to be running this business forever. I talked to some people that are running a business. They got a, they got a job. And they're like, oh man, like I, I work like 90 hour weeks, man. I can't do this anymore. I'm doing okay, but I know a big company can do better and they want to license it. So it makes sense to venture it if it's very niche. It also makes sense to venture it if you're more excited about running a business than about the product. You, excitement about the product is never enough. It is when you're licensing it because you're going to dump it on them and they're going to use their money and their workforce and they're going to do all the work, right? But when you're running a business, a lot of people are so excited about their product. They think they want to sacrifice everything. But when they get into running the business and selling it themselves, they realize they don't have the drive. They don't have, um, and if they do have the drive, it's this isn't what I want to be doing. I'm a creative person. And they're like, this is just a bunch of crap. Like I'm dealing with employee problems and people promise me things. They don't come through. And this consultant charged me $20,000 for this and didn't. And then I got a manufacturer's rep. He's got me locked up for this territory and I can't pull it back for another year. And I got this inventory sitting there and you're dealing with all this crap of running a business, which isn't always necessarily crap. Some people really get off on like, this is mine. This is my thing. I got this business and they take a lot of pride in it. And I admire people that, that do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But you got to ask yourself, is that what I really want? I'm just talking about the negative things. Now, there's positive things in running a business, too. I mean, you can feel really empowered. You know, you can do things you've never done before. You can employ people and treat them right, um, you know, and go, wow, we created this corp company culture that's really cool. A lot of cool things about it, too. So there's upsides and downsides to it. So, um that was, wow, I really went off on a tangent there. But I, it wasn't a tangent. It was really on topic. But Matt, thank you for the question about toy brokers. No, that was, uh, was uh, Des talked about uh, currently selling a custom-made product that's doing well. So another thing that I'll say, Des, is it's perfectly okay. We get tons of students to do this. They're venturing their product, selling it like yourself. I'm going to keep selling it because you're making money. You say it's doing pretty well. I'm going to try to license it. And, hey, maybe I'll 
be able to put a licensing deal together, then I'm happy with the terms and I'm going to hand it off to them. And if I can't, I'm just going to keep doing it myself. You can do these two, two things in tandem. You absolutely can. So if you're on here, um, maybe that was one of the one of your questions. You wrote, I understand another. I understand one of the cons is I might have to house massive inventory if the company wants to buy thousands of products from me, but I get my product made in China. Yeah, there's this cash flow problem. So you get a big order, you got to pay China, maybe 50 or all down, and then maybe more when they just get it on the boat. And there's all this time and you all that money goes out and none of the money comes in. And then the retailer doesn't pay you for 30 or 90 days or they send it back to you. Oh, no, this didn't sell. And they're sending it back to you. All sorts. The cash flow will kill you, man. And for most products, if you're going brick and mortar, if you're trying to get in big box retailers or even small stores, it, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars to float at the very least, if not four, five, six hundred thousand dollars. You know, now if you're selling it yourself on your own website or just doing Facebook ads or something, there's people that are kind of hacking that and doing that sort of business. But if you're going brick and mortar, usually it's at least two, three, four hundred thousand dollars to do it on any serious level. So you need to know that. And so if you want to go that direction, don't want to go the licensing route that we guide people to do, you need to talk to people that have done it. You need to get real about it real quick. Cause I was talking to so many people, they get in over their head, they started going down this path, and it's like, why didn't you talk to somebody that's done it before? And they're making it up and they don't know what the hell they're doing. And you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. More people get themselves into trouble there than are successful there. And you run out of money, you know. Um, oh, OK. Kevin said, hi, Andrew. I was talking to Eli. He's one of our advisors a few weeks ago about the one on one coaching. Really nice guy, informative. Just giving him a shout out. Yeah, Eli's a really cool guy. Eli and Sylvia are two advisors you talk to when you're interested in the program. I mean, let's call it what it is. They're salespeople, but they're really cool. We never pressure people. So if you guys are ever interested in booking on our site and talking to them, I don't know if I'm ready yet, but maybe months from now or maybe eventually talk to them. They'll never hard sell you. You can always talk to them. And Kevin's attesting to that. Eli's really cool. And Sylvia's been with us a really long time. She's amazing. And that's how I trained her. I trained Sylvia and I trained Eli to always be friendly, never hard sell, answer questions about how everything works. Because licensing is different. You know, if you've never done this, it's not difficult, it's just different. So we need to explain how licensing works and people interested in our coaching, we need to explain how the coaching works too, you know? And so we're always educating no matter what it is. That's the way I look at it. Um, let's see. Um, Sam said this coming weekend is a big inventor conference. Yeah, we got a big inventor conference coming up. If you have any info about that, you can put that in the chat, Sam. Um, it's that, that's the one I'm speaking at. <laughs> I'm speaking at that one, um, at that conference. Um, uh, Jack or Jacques um, said, what do you think about tool company deals? Um, they're a little harder. Tool company deals are harder to do. You can do them, but they're harder. Um, that's a harder industry to license in. Um, to be honest with you, I think that, I think I said this the other day, I think some of the handymen, they mess it up for us. The professional ones that know how to license don't, but some of the handymen mess it up for us because what they do 
is they're willing to accept some ridiculous offer and then they mess it up for us other inventors. So also handymen come up with endless ideas. So I think the toy, the tool business, sorry, is very spoiled. I think they have a lot of inventors submitting ideas to them. They take very few. They're also very old school. Like, oh, they're, they're, they're more picky about patents and they're more old school. And I think I'm just stereotyping here. There's too much testosterone flowing through their veins and they get a little combative with the deals a little bit more. Harder to close a deal. You got to kind of get them under your arm and give them a noogie to get them a deal. And they will beat you up about intellectual property. No big deal. You just file a provisional patent and you show them you got something solid there. But it's harder to do a deal with a tool company than a kitchen company, for example. If you're passionate about tools, do I? Yeah, you should still do it. Absolutely, we have a lot of our companies that our students have licensed tools, and so it's a decent category. But it's a little bit harder to close a deal. Um, some of them actually say on their website they're not open to ideas, but if you get in the right channel, you can get in. Again, that's being a professional. It's just straight up; they're not open. Get the right marketing manager on LinkedIn; they'll look at it. Um, Uh, last question, Julie said, do stores like Office Depot, Walmart, or Target manufacture any of their own products? Yes, they do. Um, so uh, Target has a couple of their house brands. Sometimes you don't even know they're their house brand. You know, the old days when I was a kid, um, you know, it would be like Black Label or it would be like, they don't do that anymore. Walmart or Target, you know, they will have a brand and you're like, I didn't even know that's that their brand. Um, I think I was at, I was at, um, cause I was doing some plumbing stuff this weekend and I was at Lowe's and I bought a hacksaw that was a cobalt. And don't quote me on this because I forget, but I think cobalt is the Lowe's brand. So there are retailers that do their own house brands. For the most part, retailers that do their own house brands aren't as open to licensing for their house brands because they're usually just trying to reduce costs on generic items. For the most part, that is changing somewhat. So they're doing like a chair, a blanket, standard tools like, you know, like Home Depot is doing. And they're trying to like cut out the middleman. So they're not really getting innovative. They're just trying to cut out the middleman. So, yes. Yeah, so, and sometimes you don't know, like, oh, I didn't know that was the Target house brand or the Lowe's house brand. And you need to do some research to find that out. So, yes, you can license their house brands, but for the most part, is not going to happen because they're just doing generic stuff. They're not really looking to innovate. That is changing, um, which I don't necessarily think is a good thing. I mean, I don't know one way or another, but that is changing. So yes, you can license to house brands, but it's much less likely to get done. More bureaucracy. Um, they're, how could I put this? They're a retailer. They're not a manufacturer. So when they manufacture, and this is genericizing, I'm not saying this is the case because I've seen some pretty cool stuff at Target's house brands, but um, they're just trying to reduce costs and generic stuff. So it's hard to get to the right people, get them to really want to innovate, you know, I, I, but I think it's worth it. If there's a, a brand that you identify as a house brand for a major retailer, should you still go after them like all the others? Yeah, you should, but you should be aware that they're a house brand. You should be aware of that. Um, so yeah, that's pretty solid advice, guys. Um, that's a question we get a lot. So anything you guys want to say in closing, anything you want me to read? Um, please, well, Sam, Sam's saying, please plug this weekend's conference, but Sam, you didn't include the link. So if you include the link, 
I think it's perfectly acceptable. We don't want people promoting stuff in the chat, but in Inventors Conference, we're all about promoting that. Um, one of the speakers, myself. Um, so please put the link in the chat. And I don't know when I end this, I think the chat still stays there or it goes to, you know, if I end the, cause I, I'm going to have to end it here cause I got another meeting I got to go off to. But if I end it, Steve, please put it in the comments. Okay. And please put a link. So if you want to help promote, please put it in there. Um, all right. Good deal guys. All right. Take care, everybody and keep inventing and we'll catch up with you next time. See you guys. Bye.